Good evening and welcome to the beautiful historical marionette theater. Tonight we're going to step back into the late 70s and we're going to discuss a TV movie. The plot thickens as the evening goes on. Please take your seats. The show is about to begin. And... Well, it is the third Friday of the month. So, of course, that can only mean one thing. And uh, you're here at the Marionette, of course, just in time for that show about film and television trivia. We're right here in the balcony as Mr. Smelly and I have just crept in because, well... Uh, we thought the old man Winter was on his way out the door, but he still got one foot in it. Oh, more than one foot. I mean, <laughs> let's face it. It's, it's only February 17th. We, we had a, a, a February thaw, but that's all. I know. I mean, it was such a thaw that I had my fall jacket out and I was, uh, Actually, looking forward to not having to turn the heat on in my car on my lunch break. <laughs> right. Right. Well, I was at work and I said it. I, I don't deny it. I said, it's too hot. <laughs> yeah, I did. But I think that I personally jinxed us because not only did I have my fall jacket out, but I also turned my fan on at my desk. Now, that that was the nail in the coffin, I do believe. Yeah, that'll do it. That'll do it. Uh, well, we've just gotten back from the mid-Atlantic there to the north of Baltimore's, and we actually experienced 50-ish weather for a couple of days. So yeah. maybe yeah. that's why we're hemming and hawing, and uh, we had a pretty good time. Uh, did you enjoy yourself, Toppy? I sure did. I've uh, got to see that handsome Wilson Cruz from that there new Star Trek shoe. And uh, that that was worth the price of admission. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it was a good time. Yeah, and they had some voice actors there. Um, oh, uh, Billy West, who's done a lot of voices, including some of the ta- the characters on Futurama. And uh, to add to the mix, to to keep things current, you know, we we had uh, the young lady uh, Riley Alizraki, who um, well, she plays the voice of the rock monster that's on Star Trek Prodigy. You know, that's that new animated show that Kate Mulgrew is on. Mm-hmm. She's uh, she's the the hologram Janeway, and she's teaching um, the strangers uh, how not to wreck the ship. <laughs> right, <laughs> Billy West for me uh, always. It's a Ren and Stimpy. Uh, that's as far as I'm concerned. He did both voices, and uh, you can't beat Ren and Stimpy. Mm, and of course, we also ran into our favorite Dragon cosplay hostess, Demand Martini. And um, well, you know, um, just like any morning show, uh, we we try to um, you know fill the dressing room with treats and whatnot. So we're working on uh, a comeback. She'll be uh, coming to our shore uh, hopefully in the next few months once mm-hmm. her schedule frees up. So certainly something to look forward to. Yeah, and we uh, we had along for a company our own Tommy Hashbrowns in the chat room. He yeah, was along with us. And he had uh, he did some cosplay, some really cool cosplay. 
He had a great costume that he made himself all by his lonesome. And um, all of a sudden, I can't remember what that kind of alien is called with the antennas and he's blue. What? Oh, he was an Andorian. Andorian. And you know, yes. Toppy, he actually not only entered the costuming contest, but he also won an award for uh, best original costume. Yeah. So congratulations to Tommy. And uh, that was a lot of fun. So um, we don't really have a, a a trailer for tonight, do we? We don't really. It's the 70s. Did There's you, some. Did you find the little thing? I forgot to tell you. Mm-hmm. Maybe you can find it now. Um, I put a little thing in Dropbox. Uh-huh. And it's just like a TV promotion. It's oh, better. It's better than nothing. Did okay. I, well, let you me see it. Yeah. Well, let me take a quick gander here, because you know, back then this was before home video, folks. If you didn't catch the uh, the well, the 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 things that hit the silver screen when they were in the theaters, yeah. who knew knew when you were going to catch it? But this is one of those shows that you would have caught. Uh, actually, it was on a Saturday night. So let's see here. I've got. Uh, I'm looking for it, sir. Where would it be? Oh, did I not put it in there? We can, we can pretend that it it, it uh, is just All hidden. Right. And Never mind. He, oh, well, okay. Anyways, it's the 70s, and I hear tell our senior showgirl was in the, uh, the limelight of the socials, you know, while uh, mixing up those drinks and catching an eye or two. Is, is she happen to be in the house tonight? Uh, let me see. Uh, 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 Gertie. Yeah, yeah, I'm here. Jesus, where'd you think I'd be? Hi. <laughs> Hi, everybody. Hey, I hear that you had a thing for our leading man in this Mr. Hal Holbrook, Mr. Handsome Handsome Holbrook. Is that true? Well, of course. You know... Who the hell was he married to? That slut. What was her, <laughs> what was her name? What, was it Adrian Barbo? No. Oh, no. no Th- think of it like the paper cup. What was it called? Those little paper no, cups? Those, those, that, that women series with the <laughs> ladies. Dixie. Dixie cup. Dix- yeah, she was married to that Dixie cup whore. <laughs> Anyways. No, I didn't like her. Anyways. No, it's fine. Do you want me to do the open? Well, if you could get downstairs without tripping on your stiletto, is a sure yeah, thing. Okay. Uh, I'll be right there. Bye. Okay. There she goes. Arthur is a man who's become famous for reading people's minds. His appearances on TV and speaking engagements keeps him busy and away from home and his younger wife. Not long ago, he developed a heart condition, but she's not the only one who's become aware. They say misery loves company. Grab your favorite robe, but check the pockets. It's time for... Murder by Natural Causes with Hal Holbrook and Catherine Ross. Take it away, fellas. Oopsie. Backwards. 
Whoop. What do you get when you take a dash to the silver screen? A pinch of golden oldies and a smidge in a screaming. It's time for Matinee Minutia with your host, DJ and Toppy. Ooh. 1979, Toppy. Wow. I'm, I'm not going to tell you where I was at the time, but uh, it might have involved some of the shag carpet that was so prominent back in those days. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. My parents had the shag carpet. Um, in fact, that's what I laid on when I was I watched TV at the time. Because mm. all kids, they we none of us kids ever sat on a couch because then thems were for the adults. Uh, us kids laid on the <laughs> laid on the floor to watch TV. <laughs> yeah, it's just how it was done. Yeah, it was before bean bags. Yeah, mm-hmm. and and before they outlawed advertising to children. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> But speaking of 1979, mm-hmm. long time ago, what was going on in U.S. history back then? Alrighty, so 1979, folks, going to put this into perspective. Way back in 79, a windstorm in western Washington state sank a half-mile section of the Hood Canal Bridge. Guess you're taking the alternate route to work. <laughs> in February, a total solar eclipse occurred in North America, so Ooh. it was dark for a night or two. The first a night or two. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I mean, it's a good thing this movie wasn't in theaters because if it had come out right then, you would have had a hard time getting home. Anyways, the first fully functional space shuttle orbiter, Columbia was delivered to Kennedy Space Center. Is that when it just just got a ride on the top of a, a 747 or something? Is that what happened? Um, well, the first one couldn't go into space. That was the Enterprise. And then the Columbia that was built after it, because that, you know, that was just the, um, you know, kick the tires and looking pretty model. The Columbia was a little more functional. And, of course, um, well... Uh, before the space shuttle program was over, we lost the Columbia. But yeah, that was actually only the second space shuttle built, I do believe. No, no, no. I mean, like, that's how they got it from wherever. It, I don't know. They put it on a, a big plane and transported it somewhere. Mm-hmm. It was, you could see a shuttle was sitting on top of like a 747 or something. Mm-hmm. Anyways, what else is happening? All right. So in 79, the San Francisco riot after the verdict of Harvey Milk and George Moscone's assassination. So um, this was the mayor of San Francisco. He was murdered. And that was in 79. Uh, McDonald's introduced, because, you know, they needed a, a positive thing. They introduced the Happy Meal that year. Uh, and it's still going. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, I, I should hope that these days you, you don't say if you've got a boy's toy or a girl's toy, because, you know, girls need to learn how to change a tire, too. I mean, I probably couldn't help you, and uh, I wasn't born uh, female presenting. Anyways, uh, Susan B. Anthony Coyne was introduced in 79. That was, uh, uh, you know, a woman who um, achieved some accomplishments for women's voting rights there. My, was it a dollar coin? Is I that what it was? I think so, yes. It was one of the 
Well, um, it was one of the first dollar coins, yeah. Okay. Uh, Michael Jackson in 79 released his first album, which is called Off the Wall. And back in 70s money, that brought in $7 million. Wow. And President Carter established the Department of Education for the first time in 79. And then lastly, but certainly not least, Star Trek The Motion Picture, a long time in the making, finally premiered. And uh, the opening was held at the Smithsonian, don't you know? That must have been a first. I believe so. Yeah. So we had some celebrities that were voiced that year. That includes Jennifer Love Hewitt. What includes Adam Levine. Nora Jones, Keisha Knight Pulliam, uh, she was that little Goyle on Rudy, uh, Claire Danes, uh, Kate Hudson, Rosario Dawson, and Chris Pratt, and Pink, the mm-hmm. singer musician Pink. All those peeps were born in '79. Alrighty, so Tompy, this is a TV movie. It's sort of the sweet spot here at Matinee Minutia because we often talk about film and we often talk about television, but every once in a while we get the perfect middle ground, and that would be this murder by natural causes. Now, this aired on Saturday because, you know, People didn't have uh, live. Uh, they didn't go out what? to the bars or anything back then. You know, people didn't have lives. <laughs> That's what you were about to say. Oh uh, well, blah, 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 let me rewind that. Actually, back then, people used to plan their lives around the boob tube because we didn't have home video. We you couldn't record your favorite programs, and you certainly didn't have a DVR. That was a lot, lot later but uh, people used to plan their time around the tv and uh you know it, it was right around then that you had these shows like all in the family that uh everybody talked about uh, on monday at work so this was a tv movie that aired on saturday and it was uh well it was time to be around valentine's day it came out on february 17th in 79 it aired at 9 p.m so the kiddos should have been tucked into bed by then and it was on CBS, and uh, of course, uh, it goes without saying that that's also the home of designing women in the 80s. Had something to do with Hale Holbrook, possibly. Um, but if you were uh, up and around back then when this came out, something else you could have been watching if you missed Murder by Natural Causes that night, uh, you could have been seeing on ABC one of the uh, long-running show episodes of The Love Boat, or, because this was a TV movie, it was more than an hour, also in that time slot from the uh, 9 to 10 time, would have been Fantasy Island over there on ABC, and then over on NBC, because there were only three networks back then, folks. You could have been watching BJ and the Bear. It was a show about a truck driver whose uh, companion was a primate. He was an ape or an orangutan. I, I forget which. I can't remember. Yeah, it was basically like a TV version of that Clint Eastwood movie. Oh, yes. Any which way but loose with Ruth Gordon. 
Ruth Gordon and everything <laughs> comes back to Ruth Gordon or uh, Star Trek. Oh, yes. that that. Why really... wasn't Ruth Gordon ever on Star Trek? I think she, well, she, I don't know if she might have, uh, you know, been an extra on the original series. But okay, anyways, so uh, the other thing that was on NBC, the, the, the Peacock, besides BJ and the Bear, was a series called A Man Called Sloan. Now, here, Toppy, is where we get some Star Trek. Because oh. there was a character introduced in Star Trek Deep Space Nine when they decided that there was going to be a super secret underground intelligence agency called Section 31. And uh, one of the kingpins in Section 31 was a man named Sloan. So a man called Sloan in 79, and it was a show about a secret agent coincidence or tribute. Hmm. All right. All right. Well, we do got a director for this year TV uh, movie. Mm-hmm. His name's Robert Day. He passed away in 2017. He was an English film director. Started off in the movies. Um, and between 56 and 1991, he directed about 40 movies. He was born in Sheen, England. And he's one of these guys, you know, this is how it was back in the day. You could start your way up from Clapper Boy. Now, that was the the kid. Well, I don't know if they were really boys, but that was the guy uh, or lady, probably not. It was who uh, clapped that little Clapper thing at the beginning uh, so that the editor would know what the hell uh, clip he was editing. And uh, he moved from clapper boy to camera operator and then on to cinematographer. And that's just how things happened. You kind of apprenticed in these areas and you learned as you went from somebody else. And so lo and behold, uh, he finally began directing in the mid 1950s. His first movie was the green man in 1956. It had good reviews and uh, this was a starting point, and he went on to be one of the industry's busiest directors. He did several Tarzan movies. Uh, he relocated to Hollywood in the 60s. And then from then on, you mostly would have seen him on TV, uh, on series episodes and for major television movies like the one we're doing tonight. And uh, every once in a while, he'd appear in his own productions. Uh he did that in The Haunted Strangler in 1958, in Two Way Stretch in 1960, and in a TV miniseries, Peter and Paul in 1981. He just appeared as a character. And uh, in the 70s, 80s, you would have found him directing episodes of shows like Barnaby Jones, The FBI, Dallas, Walt Disney's Wonderful World of Color which is what it was called at one point when they were trying to sell color TVs (laughs) and of course, Matlock. So uh, just, uh, just a a good working director, Robert day director of our movie tonight. Okay. So yeah, there's a boatload of talent that goes into any movie or TV show and uh, murder by natural causes is no exception to that. 
As you just heard Toby say, the uh, the magician of this film, Mr. Robert or uh, Robert Frederick Day. Now, uh, we don't usually have a chance to dive right in this soon, but, uh, you know, these TV movies, they're harder to come by, and so we'll, um, we will stir the soup pot with what we've got here. Um, the first member of the cast, of course, is our leading man, Mr. Hal Holbrook. Now, he played uh, Mr. Arthur Sinclair. He was the celebrity. He was the mind reader. He was the headliner when it came to the traveling appearances there. And uh, Mr. Holbrook was born in Cleveland of the Buckeye State, Ohio. He was raised mostly in South, or actually he was raised in uh, Massachusetts by his paternal grandparents, a place called South Weymouth, and that's how they would pronounce it out there. Uh, Holbrook attended the Culver Academies, and during World War II, Holbrook served in the army in Newfoundland. That's that uh, part of Canada that just touches Maine. And after the war, he attended Denison University, graduating in 1948. While at Denison, Holbrook's senior honors project concerned Mark Twain, so it tilted him towards the theater. And it's and actually uh, it's interesting because Mark Twain would play a huge role in his life. It's interesting that it occurred way back then. Mm-hmm. So Holbrook often worked in theater before he uh, dived into television work, but he also began working in television in the mid-1950s. Now, his first recurring role was in CBS on a daytime drama, what we call soap operas in that genre. And uh, it ran from 54 to 62. This was something called The Brighter Day. You know, so you want to know something? Hmm. I can't picture a young Hal Holbrook no. because to me, <laughs> he's looked and sounded the same since I first saw him. You know, I know he aged, but I've certainly never seen him in anything older than a 70s production. I don't know what he looked or sounded like as a young man. I'd love to know. Hmm. So um, this series, The Brighter Day, revolved around Reverend Richard Dennis and his four children, Althea, Patsy, Babby, and Grayling. So it uh, it was actually the first soap opera to air on network television. Wow. Within, well, with this caveat, with an explicitly religious theme. So okay. I'm sure there are a few folks out there who are big fans of this because it was a, a first of its time. And another soap opera that was created by Phillips, uh, the creator of The Brighter Day, was The Guiding Light. Now we've all heard of that one. Yeah. Now that originally in the early days had a religious theme when it started off uh, in life as a radio show, but once it jumped to the well, the the uh, the, the the television, um, the old tube, uh, it the it dropped that. So, anyways, so by the time Murder by Natural Causes was produced in '79, 
Holbrook had appeared in 24, not just uh, two or three or four, not even a dozen, 24. Okay, I'm going to have two boxes of donuts, 24 television programs, including 11 series and 10 TV movies. So Yeah, he, he was Mr. Made-for-TV movie guy. Oh, goodness. He was at Craft Services, and they said, hey, we got a, we got <laughs> a job for you. Uh, just prior to murder, uh, he appeared in the 77 TV movie of Our Town. Many of you might have heard of this if you're into theater. It was by a, uh, a playwright named Thornton Wilder, and it was the story of the fictional American small town of Grover's Corners between uh, 1901 and 1913. So those those days well before Prohibition and, uh, you know, many years later, of course, the Depression, but the early days of the, the uh, 20th century, through the everyday lives of its citizens. And uh, in 77, which was just a couple of years before the TV movie we're talking about, Halber Holbrook was in a film called Capricorn One. Now, uh, you know, it's no secret that there are a lot of people who think that the uh, moon landing was fake. Well... They decided to do one better. Capricorn One is a movie that was made with Elliot Gould and James Brolin about faking a landing on Mars. Because in the years that would follow, Holbrook would appear in six films, including Natural Enemies in 79 with Miss Louise Fletcher, of course, from One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. And uh, that was about a man that plots to kill his wife and children and sought advice by disguising his plan as a fictional story for his business. So, you know, you're asking for a friend. That That's how he put it. It's, no, I don't want to know about this. It's for a friend. So in an 83, so just a handful of years after Murder by Natural Causes, Holbrook was in a film called The Star Chamber. Now, this is a... A important film for its time. It starred Mr. Michael Douglas, and the story was frustrated with the legal system gone haywire. A secret society of judges hires hitmen to snuff out criminals who escape courtroom justice, but one young judge questions the ethics of their vigilante system. The Star Chamber in 70, or sorry, 83. And then just, uh, uh, continuing on here, before Hal Holbrook's passing in 2021, this gentleman lived to the ripe age of 96. He yeah. had 133 acting credits, and his uh, most recent work before his passing was in the FX series Sons of Anarchy, which was about a motorcycle gang. He had four appearances in that, and of course, as we all know, he was married to the fabulous star of television and theater Dixie Carter for 26 years. Nice. And sadly, she passed away in 2010, so he survived her by more than a decade. Um, so I want to say, wasn't he deep throat in all the president's men with Dustin Hoffman and Robert Redford? Oh, I think maybe. Possibly. Of course, the thing that the project he loved uh, Hal Holbrook and he dedicated I don't know untold hours to was his one man stage play uh, that was about Mark Twain and he would appear on stage as Mark Twain and he would tell stories in, in his voice and you know everyone you know, everyone agreed it was sensational and 
just caught the essence of Mark Twain to a T. And that's, that's probably the major thing he'll always be remembered for is his portrayal of Mark Twain. Hmm. And, uh, you know, just to follow up on that, uh, in more recent years that, uh, oh, um, I forget that, uh, baton was passed on to, uh, uh, actor Val Kilmer, who sadly lost his voice, to cancer, but um, before he lost his voice, he was uh, actually uh, performing as Mark Twain and uh, was going to be making a movie about that. But hey, Toppy, a little bit of trivia on the subject of Mark Twain. Did you know that that was a nickname? Well, I know his real name. Is that what you mean? Well, okay. So uh, where I'm, what I'm getting at is that Mark Twain is not the legal name of the man who traveled and used that name. The legal name of the man who uh, went by Mark Twain was actually Samuel Gompers. Mark Twain was a nickname that he picked up in his youth because it was actually a term that was used in the the steamboat uh, uh i swear i've never heard that last name i thought it was clemens oh you know what i'm sorry it is clemens i apologize oh okay um because of course uh, also my mother uh is a an alumni of uh, elmira college and they actually have a study that is uh, dedicated in uh, samuel clemens's name because he would often visit that part of state, and he had a residence there. That's right. And what was one of the best episodes of Star Trek: The Next Generation? Yes, uh, it was one involving Mark Twain, a two-part. Anyways, in Whoopi Goldberg, because that's when we, when uh, Captain Picard first met her, was when he went to the past. Anyway, uh, all right. Sure. So um, this is uh, that part of the program where uh, we uh, we just take a moment and. Uh, we step out here into the lobby because uh, Gertie is serving up some uh, 70s treats. She's probably got the blender going. You never know. Yeah, I do. Ooh, mix it up, lady. Okay, so for your listening enjoyment, we're going to have a little snippet here. And this is an interview with a late night television show of uh, of seventies fame, uh, Mr. Dick Cavett, and he's interviewing Holbrook, Hal Holbrook, um, just a handful of years before tonight's movie. So, uh, have a little listen. This is going to be about three minutes. My first guest is a man that uh, I, I guess I when I saw him do his Mark Twain evening on television, I thought it was the best thing I'd ever seen. Uh, and uh, when you do something like that, there's a danger that people will not want you to do anything else, but something you do that brilliantly. But Hal Holbrook has proved that he does so many things brilliantly as an actor that uh, it's embarrassing probably for him to be standing backstage hearing this and reading it all the time. Uh, he recently was praised to the skies by John Simon, who, as you know, is a pushover, a critic. Um, but anyway, he's uh, currently in a play called Lake of the Woods, and it's always a treat to see him. Will you welcome, please, a fine actor, and probably a fine gentleman, I don't know, Hal Holbrook. Thank 
you. I can't help noticing the first thing about you is that you, your face looks like mine feels. You've got, do you keep a slight growth for the play? Yeah, I do. I, yeah. I have to. I'm playing a guy who's on vacation. Uh-huh. And, uh, and it's in the evening, so of course he hasn't, uh, you know, had time to shave, so I let about two days' growth of beard go by. How do you keep it? My daughter, my little daughter won't kiss me anymore. She won't? I have to wait for Sunday and shave it off, then I get kissed. Just for a kiss? Yeah. Well, well how do you keep it that length? It seems like, would you use a bad razor on it, or how do you? Well, I, I use a kind of a shaky hand with an electric razor and try to take the tops off, you know. So. Yeah. What if you accidentally... Can't they put that on with makeup? Or? Well, they can, but it's complicated. And I perspire so badly in this show that it'll all run off on the sand. I work on the sand in this show. It's just a great, huge stage full of sand. I, I think that'd be a little rough. It is, yeah, it is. Why does it have to be a stage full of sand? Well, it takes place on a... De- there are two plays involved. Yeah. I'm out in the first one. There's a play that runs around 40 minutes called... Uh, Fingernails Blue as Flowers, and then our play is called Lake of the Woods. It runs about an hour and a half. And both, one, the first play takes place on a beach in Jamaica, and the second play uh, takes place on a desert. And you, what are the problems of working in sand? I... Well, you, you don't think about it. The first time we rehearsed on the sand, uh, first it was much easier to take the falls. I get knocked down or fall down in this play a lot, and I... I've bruised myself all over, but in the sand, of course, that's easier. But then, uh, 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 if you get too close to the edge of the stage, I have to run a lot in this play. The guy kind of has a nightmare and runs. Mm-hmm. You kick sand in the audience's eyes, so you have to be very careful about that. Uh, when you fall, you have to be careful not to get your face in it, you know. And then if some other actor is working with you, like I'm lying down in the sand in one place, kind of out of it, and this actor comes running in, and mm-hmm. the first time he did it, he stopped and kicked in the sand, you know, and I just turned in time. Also, I use a cigar for two acts in this show, and uh, I have gotten the end of the cigar uh, in the sand and then had to put it back in my mouth, but you don't do that again if you can help it. <laughs> have you ever gotten into a really bad thing on the stage like that where something... One of those actors' nightmare situations where something was just awful. Yeah, my, yeah, I remember once when I was doing Mark Twain, when I was first starting out playing high schools, I was in a town in Oklahoma, and uh, this was when I was doing a two-person show. There was my first wife and I doing. It wasn't a solo. Mm-hmm. It was that interview thing, and uh, we started getting tremendous laughter. Uh, much more laughter right in the beginning of the sketch than we'd ever had before. And I knew after a while that it had to have something to do with something else besides what we were saying. Oh, boy, what a feeling. And after a while, I, 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 I thought, my gosh, did I leave my fly open? <laughs> after a while? I bet you thought of that yeah. really quickly, Well, pretty actually. soon when I... Yeah. And then I thought, now what am I going to do if I look down and it is open? Yes. <laughs> then this whole show is going to stop for five minutes. You also think, how would Mark Twain handle this? Yeah. 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 <laughs> right? Yeah. I have to think of it. And so, finally, I, I did look down, and there it was, wide open. Oopsie! Uh, oh, yes. So, that was the 70s, Mr... Hal Holbrook, because, you know, this was a TV movie, and they didn't really go around touring the talk shows about these things. They just 
sort of did ads for him, and you had to be uh, waiting for Saturday night to see it on CBS. Right. So we'll talk about <clears throat> his co-star, Catherine Ross. Interesting actress. She kind of had a short heyday in the late 60s uh, through the mid-70s or so. Um, and then, mm, uh, whether by choice or whatever, she aged out. I don't know. She just appeared uh, less and less. Um, she's still around, still alive. Uh, but and, and she has done much more recent work. But um, she's fixed to the 60s and 70s with her roles um, uh, for which she's well known. And she's uh, she had an Academy Award nomination. <clears throat> she got a BAFTA Award. She had two Golden Globe Awards. <clears throat> a native of Los Angeles. She spent most of her early life in the San Francisco Bay Area. Uh, she joined uh, the uh, she uh, joined the actors workshop in San Francisco. And that's where she began acting and appearing in theatrical productions. <clears throat> but she made her film debut in the Civil War-themed drama Shenandoah. You know, I'd like to know. I don't think Shenandoah in 1965 was a musical. It became a musical, I think, on Broadway. And my God, if you were uh, around watching TV, I don't know when, mid-70s or just before, my the, the commercials <clears throat> were littered with... Uh, advertisements for that musical. I swear to God, every other commercial was uh, persuading you to go to New York City and watch that commercial. I don't know. It's just a memory I have. She was in The Singing Nun in 1966 and then in Games in 1967. That was a, a thriller co-starring James Caan and Simone Signore. Signore. Sonores. Anyways, she uh, that's the actress that was in uh, the, the uh, cat people all, all those years back. Um, <clears throat> now, this actress, Simone Signore, was actually a key in Ross landing her, her breakout role because Simone Signore recommended Ross uh to Mike Nichols, who was the director of 1967's The Graduate. Oh. Well, The Graduate blew everyone out of the water. Would you like me to seduce you? Is that what you're trying to tell me? Exactly. And uh, it was new Hollywood. It was innovative. It was different. Nobody'd seen everything like it. And Catherine Ross was a part of that whole big deal. And she got lots of critical acclaim, including that Academy Award nomination and, uh, and the BAFTA. And uh, 
She was the Golden Globe winner for the new star of the year. She went on to co-star with John Wayne in Hellfighters in 68. And uh, she appeared in another biggie, a huge one, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid with Paul Newman and Robert Redford. And uh, she also appeared in Tell Them Willie Boy Is Here. And she won, that's where she won the BAFTA award. So, okay. Now here's, okay. This is just me. This is just me. But here's the roles that I worship her for. (laughs) Here we go. All right. She appeared in the horror film, The Stepford Wives in 1975. Yay. She appeared in uh, The Swarm in 1978. She appeared in the supernatural horror film, The Legacy in 78 also. And she was in the science fiction film, The Final Countdown. And I'm sorry, I don't care what she appeared in, even if it was, even if it was, uh, you know, uh, what, a, 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 you know, that, that other role that she was groundbreaking. I'm sorry. Those are the movies I'll remember for, especially The Swarm. No, just kidding. It was The Legacy. Anyways, uh, so in the 1980s, we, we saw her some more. She was in Murder in Texas. She was in The Shadow Riders. And she even uh, appeared on the network series The Colbys from 85 to 87. Colby's was a spinoff from Dynasty, and it was kind of weird. Uh, all right. All I know is in the Colby's, aliens kidnap someone. Okay. So I don't know what to say. <laughs> Anyways, uh, she kind of went into retirement in the 90s, but uh, she did a return in a supporting part in this uh, cult film known as Donnie Darko in 2001. And she did some voice work. She was in the animated comedy series American Dad. And in 2017, this might be her uh, most latest work. She was in the comedy drama The Hero opposite her husband, Sam Elliott. So that's Catherine Ross. Okay. So Catherine Ross, of course, she was uh, the younger wife to Mr. Hal Holbrook's uh, mind reader character. Now we're going to talk about the young man, the other man. And uh, this is the guy that uh, wore his bathrobe when he was out on the road. Mr. Barry Bostwick played Gil Weston. And uh, Mr. Bostrick was born in California, and most of you will know him from being Brad on the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Yeah, I was uh, chatting with Tommy Hashbrowns in the uh, chat room, mm-hmm. and I said, you know, I wouldn't have known that was Barry Bostwick unless his name was in the titles. Now, would you recognize him? I, 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 I think he was. I mean, you know, I mean, everyone knows him from um, Rocky Horror Picture Show, mm-hmm. but he had glasses, and I don't know. I I just never would have recognized him. Well, uh, Tom, Tommy says Tommy says I'm an asshole or something. No, he says uh, that yeah, uh, I should have recognized, him, but I didn't. 
Hmm. Well, his character in Rocky Horror is quite a bit different, only in that he's kind of um, neat and tidy, and he's what you would have called in the 70s a yuppie, because he was a sellout who, uh, you know, uh, got a paycheck and he was wearing a suit and tie. And so that was your impression of him, is that he was um, the the neat and tidy suit-wearing man that Janet had... uh, you know, taken to the altar and uh, <laughs> life was going to be happy because they were going to live the uh, the happy, um, you know, white picket fence dream. Right. And, you know, I thought, <clears throat> well, he's so much older in uh, murder by natural causes. But really, that wasn't made all that long after. So it's not even that. I just don't know. Well, you know, we I, I don't recognize him. We did have regular gas then, so there was lead. Um, <laughs> uh-huh. We don't know. I, 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 it was from a time where I, I was too young to know. But um, we might not have uh, outlawed asbestos as much. Um, there was a lot of bad things in the air back then, and uh, you know, could have included the hairspray that Mr. Bostwick was wearing in this film. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, uh, Barry Bostwick was born in good old California, the Golden Coast. He and his elder brother Peter, so what else would you call your brother Peter, uh, used to put on musicals and puppet shows for the neighborhood kids. So they were gay. Yes. No, no, no. <laughs> it's just what I did. But, he he had a vivid imagination, okay? Uh, Barry attended San Diego's United States International University's School for Performing Arts in 67. I think they probably shortened the name later uh, and switched from music to drama during the course of his studies now he worked occasionally as a circus performer because you know uh, when that calliope music comes a calling uh which would come in handy on the musical stage down the line he subsequently moved to good old big apple new york and attended the graduate school of arts and sciences at nyu and that's new york university for you non-locals he, he made his stage debut at 22 in a production of Take Her, She's Mine. And Barry performed in a number of non-musical roles in such productions as, of course, because it's, you know, War and Peace. It wouldn't be a musical. Wouldn't that be weird if someone made a musical of War and Peace? Maybe they'll do that. <laughs> you know, we could do it with Lady Gaga, maybe. Okay, it's anyway. bound to happen. Yes. By the way, uh, trademark, uh, <laughs> copyright, hashtag, uh, that's all right. <laughs> and uh, in 68, now also in 68, the misanthropy, the misanthropy something or other. Uh, misanthrope. Misanthrope. Oh, okay. And uh, he made his uh, Broadway debut in 69 in Cockadoodle Dandy. That sounds, I'm sure he did. It yeah. so, sounds a little racy, if you ask me. Uh, which ran in tandem with Hamlet, in which he was featured as Osric. And it was his portrayal of the swaggering leather jacket-wearing 50s bad boy who knew he originated the role. Danny Zuko in the 72 Broadway high school musical Smash Grease. And that put Barry prominently and permanently on the marquee signs. He originated the role. He was nominated for a Tony, but lost out that year to the older generations. And uh, I, I, if I'm not mistaken, he might have started on radio. Phil Silvers. And uh, a funny yeah. thing happened on the way to the forum. Yeah, that was uh, that was a big deal. Yeah, Phil Silvers went 
way back. Mm. So finishing up with Mr. Bostrick, he began acting in the early mid 70s. Breakout role was in the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Of course, if you've been living under a rock, that starred Tim Curry and Susan Sarandon. Put him in the map just four years before Murder by Natural Causes. Uh, this was his fifth television role, and in the year just before he, he uh, the, uh, this TV movie, he appeared in Movie Movie in 78 with George C. Scott and Red Buttons. Red Buttons. <laughs> <laughs> it was uh, uh. about three movie genres of the 30s, which included boxing films, World War One aviation drama, and backstage Broadway musicals. So it was a medley of uh, spoofs and uh, satirized under the same cast for all three um, vignettes. And directed by Mr. Stanley Donan. Now, Mr. Stanley Donan is important for a few things, including Singing in the Rain with uh, Mr. Gene Kelly and Debbie Reynolds back in 52. And then a decade later, with Audrey Hepburn and Gregory Peck, Stanley Donan and Ross Charade, another film we've discussed right here on the good old Matt Namanusha. <laughs> Now, in the five years it would follow Murder by Natural Causes, Bostwick would appear in more than a dozen television programs, including a guest appearance on Hawaii Five O. And a short. Yes. And then he was in a short, and I do mean short-lived, series in '81, a TV series based on the movie of the same name, Foul Play. Boy, have I forgotten about that one. Oh, he probably wants you to, too. Uh, Deborah Raffin was in that. And more recently, he appeared in a series of uh, viral uh, programs that were made for the pandemic called Viral Vignettes. It was 12 one-act comedies that introduced us to 21 unique characters stuck at home during the pandemic, trying to make sense of the unpredictable an unpredictable situation filled with strangeness and unexpected humor. And uh, that, among other people, included Miss Marion Ross, uh, of course, uh, well-known for Happy Days um, Mm. in uh, one of her uh, last performances. And in 2021, uh, Mr. Barry Bostwick starred in a Netflix original film called Single All the Way. And uh, this was a a, a holiday movie, a Christmas movie, with Mr. Michael Urie from Ugly Betty. Uh, wrapping it up uh, to date, Mr. Barry Bostwick has 188 acting credits. Which I never would have guessed because you just, he's just not prominent uh, in anything. I mean, sure, there was the Rocky Horror Picture Show, but after that, uh, he's there and he's around and he's working. I mean, if you hang out in the green room at QVC, eventually you're going to get a commercial. <laughs> mm-hmm. Now, um, Tommy just put a poster of Megaforce. I wonder what that was. But Oh, Barry Bostwick's oh, in that. Huh. Dee's, Dee's not with Oh, Persis Kambata. She was the... Uh, it's Star Trek. No! Yes, she was. The bald beauty there. Now, of course, oh, no. she shaved her head for that role. Yeah, she did. Okay, we cannot uh, leave out Richard Anderson Mm-mm. from uh, our movie tonight, Murder by Natural Causes. Uh, he plays, plays a key role. And also, Richard Anderson is the uh, subject of my favorite <laughs> trivia question ever. 
who was the actor who played the same character on two different television series uh-huh. on two different networks? Nobody's ever done that before. Oh, this will well, be a chat room poll because I, I, I can cheat. <laughs> right. Well, it's Richard Anderson because he played Oscar Goldman on the six million dollar man on abc and he played richard uh, he played oscar goldman on the bionic woman on nbc so there you go that's my favorite trivia question ever there you go you know i i I think that i have to credit the the uh the bionic shows for um you know helping me figure myself out because i knew that the six million dollar man uh, w- was uh, something to go after, but I also was jealous of Jamie. Uh, her, you know, her sense of fashion and um, you know, her 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 way with people. But uh, uh-huh. uh I I think somewhere in between, I, I I'm sure that there are probably some folks out there who probably grew up wishing that they could have an Oscar Goldman as their sugar daddy. <laughs> sure, sure, <laughs> and also we loved it whenever he called. Uh, Steve Austin Sport. That was the, that was the main thing. Oh yeah, he, he never he never called Jamie Sport. But uh, anyways, well you know I, I we might take a moment before we get to our recommendations, sir, because this deserves some discussing. Okay, we're used to Richard Dean and or sorry, not Richard Dean Anderson. That's a different person. That was MacGyver. <laughs> Richard Anderson playing the sort of wholesome GI government guy, you know. And uh, here he is here in Murder by Natural Causes. Now, if you haven't caught this film, do have a look-see out there because it's easily gotten. A lot of these TV movies were never put on home video, so, you know, they're they're not quick to yank them down. Um, but uh, Mr. Richard Anderson plays a guy who is supposed to be a long-trusted friend. He's Isn't he the attorney? of yeah. the the, yeah. the leading man mm-hmm. and uh you know uh when the cat's away <laughs> right well that was the interesting thing about this tv movies is that at the end of the day there's nobody really likable <laughs> i mean sure okay we're rooting for uh, Hal Holbrook uh, to somehow make it through this thing. But really, isn't he quite devious? Mm. He could have done a lot of things, <laughs> but he went for the long game in this movie to basically give it to uh, his enemies and in a way that, uh, yeah, well, it's devious. It's devious. <laughs> That's what it is. And all of the characters in this movie are not very likable, and they're all devious. And I think that's just an interesting thing about this movie. You know, I think the only person who could truly be innocent is the housekeeper because <laughs> she was <laughs> she was she was given the night off. <laughs> 
<laughs> you know, wouldn't it have been funny if she crept onto the stage at the end and just somehow said, no, I'm the one and, and shot everybody. I don't know. <laughs> I don't that like it. Been- I don't like any, well, any of you, 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 you slighted my paycheck. <laughs> Talk about a twist ending. That's what she should have done. She should have just. Oh, I bet oh. you there's some version of the story that involves her poisoning dinner. <laughs> Right, <laughs> but you oh. do know. I think I'm not sure if you're aware of this, Toppy, but in later years, this story was actually developed into a stage play. No kidding. Yeah, I, I, I no, I did not know that, but it would make a great stage play. Of mm-hmm. course, I, I did some looking for clips, and I kept running into short things. And it that happens when you have you know a a community theater type of thing. They'll promote whatever is going on at the the high school or whatever and there there has been at least one or two uh, productions of this as a play now i don't know about you toppy i i i know that we're a few years apart when it comes to our graduation caps and gowns but did you have any idea that the technology was there in 1979 that a a heart patient could uh, basically phone it in and have the the doctor check on their pulse well, you know, I'm quite sure that that movie was the first time I ever saw that done. Mm-hmm. And I don't think they made that up. I think that technology was there at the time. Um, of course, you know, he didn't hook up to the Internet or anything. He made a direct call to some service. Uh-huh. And that was their job was to, you know, uh, listen in. But, but yeah, I mean... I, I never saw that before. <clears throat> and this was a movie that I did see when it aired. Mm-hmm. And I saw it that one time. And just, I don't know why. I always remembered it. I never forgot it. And uh, I thought it would, it, I wanted, I wanted it to be on our little shoe. Mm-hmm. And then I saw it for the second time this past week. And uh, it, it well, I mean, it wasn't quite as good as my memory, but it was still good. It's a decent. Uh, it's not a mystery so much as just a crime drama. Mm-hmm. But there's enough twists and turns that uh, it's still rewarding to see, and I think it's a lot of fun. So if nobody's seen it, uh, just just go to YouTube, watch it for free. Oh, and it's just fun because, uh, you know, there are some twists and turns, as you said. And, uh, well, it's a minor spoiler, but really no detail. You you find out that someone is a double crosser in this story. Well, there's, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of double crossing in this, <laughs> no, in this t- movie. So, you know, I, I think that possibly that technology is something that, uh, it probably wasn't attainable for the, you know, the everyday person, but certainly because this man was making a living with appearances and whatnot, and he had a nice house, you can't deny that. That's probably what afforded him that luxury, is it? I think you're right. I think you're right. This is not something that uh, just anybody could have. I think you're right. You you would have, you know, this would have been a service you would have paid a lot of money for. By the way, I love the beginning of this movie because, because Hal Holbrook makes a, a, an appearance on a show that's obviously The Tonight Show. <laughs> they don't say that. But there's this bimbo actress that's going on <laughs> about whatever she's doing. 
you know, before he appears uh, as the, you know, the mind reader. And uh, I just love the way they caught the feel of the tonight show because Mm -hmm. it, it was, I mean, the tonight show would do things like that. They would have some actress and then they would have like, you know, Yuri Geller. I don't know. Uh, you know, some mind reader type person uh, on there. And uh, you know, that, that really did happen. So I love the way you just, they just, <laughs> I just think they really did a good job of capturing the feel of, what it might be like to be backstage of, uh, you know, the tonight show, you know, waiting for your own appearance in the green room or whatever. So Mm -hmm. I really loved that, you know, and um, before we uh, wrap up here, uh, just one last kind of round of thought on this. I don't know if, if it maybe is something that they would consider doing if they made a, uh, you know, a modern or more modern take on this, but was there any doubt in your mind through the course of the film that this guy actually had a heart condition? Because he, you know, semi-spoiler, um, he he makes it through a few tests of his metal. You know, he's got some, uh, some uh, you know, physical challenges that he's presented with. And it looks like it has actually put a strain on him, but he recovers. So... I don't know. You know, it, it seems like great lengths to go to if you're just trying to put something over on them. You know, oh, poor me, I've got a heart condition. If he doesn't have one, he pay, he paid a pretty penny to fake it pretty good. Okay, so I think he did have a heart problem at one time, and then he just got on it, and, and he says that, you know, he, he'd been exercising and doing push-ups and things so that when the story takes place, it's several years past his coronary, and he's actually probably in better health than he's ever been. Mm-hmm. So that's how they explain that away. Um, uh, I I remember I totally bought it. Uh-huh. I totally bought everything that I was being shown, and I thought he had, you know, I thought he was done for because he. <laughs> had another coronary because it's death by natural causes. That was the whole thing they wanted to do rather than use bullets or knives or anything. They, they just wanted him to have a goddamn heart attack. So <laughs> they went to great lakes to make that happen. And I totally bought it. I totally bought it. And I was totally, you know, uh, surprised by all the twists. Oh, and you know, I think that probably the most not ridiculous, but the most fantastic moment in the film before the attempts are made is uh, when the wife explains how they're going to try to scare him by using blanks. <laughs> Well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's bad enough that someone's going to make an attempt on your life and is bothered to have a gun handy, but we're just going to let your, you know, your your broken ticker finish the job for us. We just have to put you up to the edge and you're going to fall on your own. <laughs> right. Uh, and, and the whole idea was to manipulate Hal Holbrook into 
getting the gun and shooting the guy uh, with a blank. And, and they thought that might do it. But if it didn't do it, what if the guy he thought he shot just suddenly appeared in front of him, not dead? <laughs> and that might give him a real heart. Anyways, it's a lot of fun, folks, if oh, you haven't seen it. And, and you, uh, you give it a shot. You can't beat one of the final scenes. This really is not a spoiler, but basically he says... <laughs> Either. I think we've spoiled this. Oh, you do? I, th- I think uh, we've spoiled this. I, I think people know once you get past intermission, you you got to decide if you're going to keep listening. But I mean, all I was going to say is, you, you know, you could see the ending without watching the rest. And it's just really fun to see Hal Holbrook look kind of at the camera. And it's like, you know, he's he's the, you know, the mentalist. He's the mind reader. And he's saying, you know. It's your turn. Try to read my mind. <laughs> right. What do you think I'm going to do? Why don't you read my do, mind? Do you feel lucky, punk? <laughs> yeah, and he's pointing He's pointing a gun that apparently is truly loaded at Catherine Ross. So a lot uh, of fun. Uh, DJ, mm-hmm. this remind you of anything, any, anything you come up with uh, um, that uh, you'd recommend if people like this movie? Mm-hmm. What, what else might they like? Alrighty. Well, you might be interested to know, folks, that uh, this film was actually written by the same folks that writ- wrote uh, many uh, stories with Peter Falk. Um, the, in uh, about the decade before, there was a, a TV movie that uh, inspired a series that we'll get to in a little bit. Prescription Murder starred Peter Falk. Catherine Justice and Gene Barry, and that was uh, about a psychiatrist who uses a patient he's having an affair with to help him kill his wife. But his perfect alibi may come apart at the hands of a seemingly befuddled LAPD lieutenant prescription murder from 68-something else you might enjoy if you like murder by natural causes. That's right, and Peter Falk starred in that as the character of Columbo. And that's my recommendation is any episode of Columbo um, because uh, the, the team that wrote our movie tonight, Richard Levinson and William Link. Uh, this is what I think happened. I think they were writing for Columbo. Columbo was in well-established in, by 79 I think they had, they somehow came up with this idea for a movie and they said, it's just not working for Columbo, just not working. I don't know how we could do it. And then I think they said, this is so good to hell with it. Let's make it its own movie. I think that's probably what happened. Hmm. Yeah, and who knows, if you watch a few episodes of Columbo, you might actually even see the house that Murder by Natural Causes was filmed in, because back then they just rented the house out for the weekend to shoot an episode. <laughs> well, yeah, that happened a lot. So there you go. A lot of fun, folks. Catch it if you can on YouTube. Alrighty, so this is the third Friday of the month, which means the next time we're going to get together will be the first Friday of the month. And that's going to be over there on uh, March 3rd. So, uh, Toppy, you know, the Marionette Theater has had many things that's gone through these doors, including there was once a magic act. Can you hand me that bag of coins so we can figure out what's coming up next? 
I shall hand you the bag of coins. All right, put that in the slot. That's what she said. No. Ooh, a capsule came out. Let me open it here. <laughs> All right, next time on that name minutia. Well, we've just had the passing of actress Raquel Welch. But Raquel Welch was was a beauty and a sex symbol of her time. That's what she's known for. And I think the one movie that I had to pick was the movie that made her famous, One Million Years B.C. And it's a British Hammer film production, and it stars Raquel Welch, John Richardson, and there she is in that fur bikini (laughs) that she had a photo taken of that became a poster that was put up on the walls of everybody. Anyways, it made her a sensation because of her accent, uh, because of her Italian uh, heritage. She just became this sex pot megastar. So we're, we're going to do one million years BC next time on that name and it has some great special effects by legendary special effects stop motion photographer Ray Harryhausen. There you go. One million years BC next time. So we'll end this in a sec here, but I want to draw a parallel. I don't know for sure, but I have a theory. So Raquel Welch in uh, that movie that we're doing next here, what was it? One million years BC? Yeah. Okay. There was a movie in 81, which of course stars sitcom 80s favorite Shelley Long. And mm. uh, it was called Caveman. And, and I want to say that that must have been a ripoff of One Million Years B.C. Because I'm pretty sure Shelley Long just goes through that movie wearing a bikini, a fur bikini. And um, it's all about cavemen and dinosaurs coexisting. So, Yeah, well, you know, I haven't seen that movie, but it sounds like it sounds it sounds like it was probably, you know. Uh, rip off a tribute yeah, whatever you want to call yeah. it <laughs> uh, right oh and we almost left without saying who was in the chat room so I'm looking over the balcony as people pick up their uh, snacks and treats and uh, you know while making sure the popcorn didn't spill yeah thanks for doing that DJ um, we got the ever mysterious Cronhaven your husband Billy is here we've got Janet from another planet and our pal, Tommy Hashbrowns, who is here supporting us each and every time we do a show. Thank you, Tommy. Thank you, everyone, for being here in the uh, chat room. Okay, and if you can't drink responsibly, um, be a designated driver. Uh, I don't know. Thank you for listening to Matinee Minutia. Our show streams live on the first and third Friday of the month. Go to univospods.net. Click the tower for audio. Enter Discord for chat. You can find our show anywhere you listen to podcasts. Visit our webpage at matineeminutia.com. Tweet us on Twitter at matineeminutia. Find our group on Facebook. Have an idea for a show? Or why not let us know how we're doing? Email us at matineeminutia at gmail.com. Joe's gone wild with Matt and Tom. Speak up. The Smellcast by Tommy Smelly.
be heard. Tastes like burning with Tim and James. Unique voices in podcasting. The Shy Life Podcast with me, Paul the Shy Yeti. Univazpods.net.